0: Farms are complex systems and everyone's soil health journey is going to be different. For some, though, one change or one new piece of equipment can really be that missing piece that starts to bring everything together.
1: Looking back at it, I think we were tilling ourselves into a position where we weren't getting good crops. We were tilling it down, we felt like we had to have that perfect seed bed. And we'd till the ground and it wasn't quite right, we'd till it again and then we'd till it again if we had to, and we were putting compaction layers in there that I don't think our, our crops could get through. And once we went to strip till, it completely changed everything for us. I think our roots were going deeper, getting into moisture that we weren't seeing other times of the year, and just everything kind of came together for us.:
0: Western New York farmer Jason Swede talks about strip tilling, cover crops, and growing a diverse rotation to maintain a profitable business while building healthier soils. This is the Soil Sense podcast, where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. On this show, we unpack the ways farmers collaborate to build healthier soils and adapt systems to work on their farm for both sustainability and profitability. Let's get to the root of all that and cover some ground on today's episode of Soil Sense. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to Soil Sense. I'm one of your hosts, Tim Hamrich. Joining me, of course, is my co host, Dr. Abby Wick, and we're sitting down with New York farmer Jason Swede. Now, if your mind defaulted to New York City there, it's okay, but you'd be dead wrong. They're in western New York, so the other side of the state. It's there that Jason farms with his father, brother, nephew, and son on 4,500 acres. On their diversified crop farm, they grow corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, and processing vegetables like sweet corn, peas, and string beans. They're also partners in a dairy operation and own an alfalfa pelletizing plant. In today's episode, we'll talk about the diversity of Jason's crop rotation, how strip tillage has been a game changer for them, some of his farm experiments like biostrips, how he approaches cover crops, and much, much more. Jason grew up on the farm, and although he went to school for ag business, he said that's where he's always been happiest. He's always loved farming. He starts our conversation by talking about the diversity of their farm and the region overall.
1: We've always been in the the processing vegetable business. And then we sit in a large dairy region. So we've always kind of grown into that dairy partnership as time has gone by. And then the alfalfa pelleting business just kind of, we fell into that the last five or six years. So
0: is that common in your area for farms to be diversified? You said you're in a big dairy area, but maybe explain that area of Western New York to anybody who hasn't been there.
1: So Western New York is kind of, it's not what you would expect when you hear New York farming. There's apples, there's fresh vegetables, there's processing vegetables, there's dairy, there's a lot of different type of agriculture, grapes, you name it, I think we have it.
0: <laughs> it's it's just unexpected, I would say. I have a random question. What eats alfalfa pellets? That, those don't go to dairies, do they? Um. It could go
1: to the pet food market, it could go to the... I know at one point in time, there was a lot going to sheep and goats and just depends. And they might take them and use them into, blend them with other products and make a pellet that might go to dairy calves or to other, other things. So it's a diverse market and it's a small market for us, but it's, it's something
0: different, I guess. And this may be a really stupid question, but being just a podcaster, I can get away with some of the stupid questions. With... A crop mix so diverse as you know alfalfa to go in alfalfa pellets row crops mixed vegetable are you rotating through all of those through the same ground or are they kind of segregated about here's where we put the vegetables here here's where we do the row crops
1: we'd like to rotate through pretty much all of our ground um, we may have some land that is a little more suited for growing some forage for the dairy and some other ground that fits a little better for the vegetables but for the most part we're we're rotating through everything. That's really one of the things that I like seeing is rotating through all the all the ground.
2: Oh my gosh, I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into that that rotation and you said there are four of you that are that are on the farm doing this.
1: So there's the four of us then we have several employees that work for us too. I've always been asked what is your crop rotation and I really can't pinpoint it down. <laughs> it kind of varies just depending on on the year and You know, just how things fit for that time period. You know, sometimes it's a couple years of corn and then into a like a snap bean or a pea. I just like to call it the legume crops and then out of them into a sweet corn crop and then maybe into a wheat crop. But it it varies all the time.
0: And can you talk about maybe just a thought process? Obviously, you can't tell us exactly what that rotation is going to be, like you said, but can you tell us about the thought process and maybe if there's ever been a time where you you planted something after something else and you went, oh, don't want to do that again. That didn't work out.
1: (laughs) So I'd like to plant our sweet corn after something other than corn. So that's kind of how we kind of start our rotation. So the sweet corn goes in after maybe an alfalfa crop or after a soybean crop or after a string bean crop. That's kind of where we start from. And then coming out of sweet corn, I like to go into field corn for at least a year, maybe two. And then we start going back into some of these other, maybe into a wheat crop and then into alfalfa after that.
0: And that's not set in stone, I can tell you that. (laughs) And and, I'm curious about why do you like to do the field corn right after the sweet corn? I'm just curious about that. So
1: sweet corn, I don't like to go after field corn because we can get volunteer corn. And so you can get corn growing up into the sweet corn and the processor really does not like that. We made the mistake when I was a young little kid of having some sweet corn planted after field corn. And I remember walking through the fields having to take the field corn out. And I said, we're not going to do that again. (laughs) And it just, I need to have a certain amount of corn in the rotation between the sweet corn and field corn. So I need to double up on the years, maybe even triple up. So just coming out of sweet corn, that's just a natural progression. And it gives us a nice area to put some cover crops in that the field corn plants into really nice.
0: And as it relates to kind of soil health, I know the term hasn't been around for all that long, but but as a concept, you know, thinking about soil and prioritizing the health and the, the longevity of the soil, is that something that, you know, has always been on top of your mind or talk about kind of your thought process related to that?
1: You know, when you start talking cover crops, I don't remember a time when we didn't use cover crops it was just something dad had always done and with the vegetables it was it gives us a a window that's maybe a little earlier than your normal grain corn that we can get cover crops in and it was just something we've always done now we may have plowed them all under with a moldboard plow over the years but then as time has progressed we've kind of changed our practices as we go but that's kind of we've always been doing it and now we've changed some of our practices into strip till and less tillage and doing some other things that just kind of
0: Enhances the soil a little bit more as we go. Great. And can you talk more about those practices? About kind of when and where are you strip tilling, and some of the other practices that you're using to try to get the most out of those cover crops that you can.
1: So we're strip tilling most everything that we have except for our pea crop and our string bean crop. So we do not strip till yet our string bean crop because we have trouble with residue, and so we we really can't do that just yet. Same with the pea crop everything else is pretty much strip till and we're playing around with some no-till some of our cover crops consist of oats that'll winter kill and so then we come in in the spring and we're just running our strip tiller through it preparing the seed bed placing our nutrients and going so that's kind of where we're at right now and we started that i'm trying to think it was in 2005 is when we started strip till Um, everything else ahead of that we did a lot of mullboard plowing and Looking back at it, I think we were tilling ourselves into a position where we weren't getting good crops. We were tilling it down. We felt like we had to have that perfect seed bed. And we'd till the ground and it wasn't quite right. We'd till it again and then we'd till it again if we had to. And we were putting compaction layers in that are that I don't think our our crops could get through. And once we went to strip till it completely changed everything for us. I think our roots were going deeper, getting into moisture that we weren't seeing other times of the year, and just everything kind of came together for us.
2: Wow. What was that adoption like going from mobile plow into strip till? First of all, like what initiated the idea? And then how was that first time you ran those strip till uh, passes across that field?
1: So we copied some neighbors is our initial (laughs) is how we got into it. Um, There's a couple neighbors that were playing around with some strip till. And I really liked some of the things they were doing and they were growing some really nice crops. And we said, well, we wanted to try it. Stumbled across another neighbor that was thinking the same way, and we decided to work together. So they had an extra planter that we set up to run strip-till, and then we worked together on the strip-till equipment. And we ran together for a year just to see if we liked it. And going into it, we said, I didn't want to do this if we saw a yield drag. Well, the first year into it, we saw such a yield bump, we said we're going that way completely. So um, that was kind of how we got started in it.
2: What were the conditions like to give you that yield bump? Was there something about that specific year in the the weather or was it that really was the strip till?
1: I really think it was the strip till. I really do. I I think it was, like I say, we we had always made the mistake that thinking we had to have things perfect. And we learned in a hurry that with strip till, it's not necessarily always perfect. But if you can get a crop growing and get your crop started, it's usually going to outperform anything else
0: we can do. That's great. It sounds like that was the biggest game changer is, is kind of the strip till. Or there any other kind of cover crop practices that you've developed over time or maybe the types of cover crops you're using?
1: We've been playing around a lot more the last few years with what we call some bio strips where we're doing some cover crops kind of spaced on 30-inch different spacings. Um, we're using a grain drill to set up with, um, we might use tillage radishes and clover in one spot where we want to put our seed next year. And then in between that, we might be putting a a mix. Last year, we tried an eight-way mix that was kind of between the rows where we aren't going to be putting our seed. So we like to have something that would either winter kill or kill easy in the spring where we want to put our seed. And then between them, we want to have something green. And so that's something we've been playing around with. I really like it, but it it has to be planted earlier. So the veg crops helps us get that where we can do a few hundred acres a year of that. Um, And that's been working really well. And why'd you want to do that? And what makes you say you really
0: like it? What are you seeing?
1: I liked the idea of the tillage radishes going down and trying to break up some more compaction and they're capturing some nutrients that maybe we were left over and they're just kind of kind of concentrating them and they really do a nice job. The clover there in the spring might grow back enough to give us a little bit of nitrogen in the spring and it's easy to control for us. So it was just a thought process there on that.
2: Yeah, I'm curious about more on that thought process of picking those cover crops, because I think most, most farmers, when they get started, they're not quite sure what to pick or how to, how to go about it. And Do you have a, a way that you've done that that's, that's led to more, a more comfortable situation versus a lot of anxiety over the cover crops?
1: Well, when we started using cover crops years ago, rye was our big cover crop. That's what we used to use, and we'd plow it under. And I can always remember it getting away from us, getting too tall, and you could see the cab of the tractor kind of bouncing through the field, trying to plow that stuff under. But it always, it plowed under and the crops always did well after that. So then we we thought, well, instead of letting it get away from us, we started using oats and we would put oats down and they would winter kill. And we really got to where we really liked those. Um, That's our main cover crop that we use earlier on, like when we're not doing the bio strips. And now later on in the season, we're doing kind of a, a mix of oats and maybe rye and kind of giving us a thin rye stand in the spring so it doesn't get away from us. But then some of those bio strips, we're just experimenting. I really don't know what is the right thing. I talk to a lot of people that are specialists that come up with some different mixes for us, and we just keep playing around with some different things. And I, I don't have a real big science to it. It's just what I think might work for us.
2: When you're talking about setting up equipment, I know there's going to be a lot of different questions uh, because farmers generally love to hear how equipment's set up. Are there any special modifications you've made on your equipment to plant into those bio strips or anything that you think is worth mentioning that that might help other growers?
1: When we first got into the strip till, we, we started setting our planters up with certain coulters and a bunch of other additional equipment. And as time has gone by, we've gone away from it. And so we're almost back to where the only thing that's kind of additional from what we used to plant conventionally is we have row cleaners. And that is about it on our planter. Maybe some different um, closing wheels that we, we liked. Um, but other than that, we haven't really changed. We kind of went with extra equipment and then have gone away from it over the years. And we're even trying to plant green through some stuff now. And we're finding that sometimes less equipment is working better. Than having too many things on there that could wrap up with stuff and give us issues so um, as far as the strip tillers ours is pretty much the way they're coming from the, the factory we aren't changing much on that except we're placing our, our fertilizer with it um, we're placing nitrogen with our strip tiller and playing around with different blends of fertility
0: placing it uh, about six inches below our seed and how's the planting green going uh how's that gone so far and uh, just talk about your experiences there.
1: Um, I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. We're doing a study with it right now. We're working on a, a study that is kind of comparing planting green with early burn down with no cover crops. And we're just, it's a four-year study that we're we're playing around with it to see the differences over time. And first year, I think we saw a yield drag with the planting green, but it was our first time trying it. And I think... As time goes by, we're going to learn some things. And I'm more interested in seeing what happens with soil health, planting green continually for four years to see what the long-term effect is.
2: So I'm curious, what are you seeing with soil health that keeps you adopting new practices on the farm?
1: It all comes down to being profitable. (laughs) Um, We've been keeping a close eye on our, our organic matters, and it's hard to move that number but we've been maintaining organic matter and we've actually been starting to see a little bit of an increase. But when I say an increase, it's not a huge amount, but it, it's a long-term deal. Where we've done a lot of cover crops, you're starting to see the soil really break apart a lot easier. When you go to plant, everything just comes together a lot, a lot nicer is the way I would put it. So it, it seems to be a process. Over time, it just seems to
0: be building as we go. And it sounds like at least part of uh, your soil health building practices came from trying to solve a problem like compaction. I I know you mentioned compaction a couple other times. Um, What other, you know, soil related issues uh, are you seeing that you're trying to address? I know in other episodes, people have talked about er erosion a lot as one or or water management. Can you talk about some of those factors that affect you that this might be a tool in toolbox to help address?
1: That's one of the reasons we've always had cover crops is we just always wanted to manage that. The erosion. I want to capture any leftover nutrients that may be there, and then recycle them back into the soil. Those are the the two of the bigger things that I always felt like was important for us. We used to plow a lot of ground in the fall if it didn't have cover crops on it, and you would always see some wind erosion in the spring. You'd, the snow would be different color as it crossed the road. You would see some of those issues, and you'd have those gullies going down through the fields in the spring if you had those heavy rains and Strip-till doesn't solve all of that, but it's way better than it used to be. I think the no-till side of it, we could probably do some things that would control it even more, but the, the strip-till was a good step for us. We have a lot of rolling fields and hills, so that was a big thing for us.
0: And when you think about kind of all these soil health building practices over the years in aggregate, uh, what stands out as the biggest challenge related to kind of building healthier soils while, while as you said, maintaining profitability?
1: Um, there was a little bit of a learning curve on, you know, working through some of the different types of cover crops. There for a while we were using, we were burning our cover crop down and trying to go in a week later. And sometimes that was even worse than trying to either plant it green or give it two, three weeks time to, to die down. The other side of it is, it seems as though our corn has a little bit of a slow start to it compared to our neighbors that are doing conventional till and i always blamed it to the the idea that our soils are a little bit cooler when we're getting started and we always have a little bit of a lag on our corn for about two weeks and then as time goes by it seems to catch up and perform just as well as the conventional tilled stuff and sometimes even through some of the drier spells i think ours maybe holds on a little bit longer through those dry spells or even wet spells
2: So during those two weeks when your corn might be lagging behind what do you do to keep preoccupied so you're not not stressing out about it?
1: (laughs) We've learned that it's there. We've learned that it's just part of it and we know what's coming and usually it just takes a little time to be patient and it's hard sometimes in the spring we're a little behind on some of the other guys planting because we have to hold off just a little bit longer to get that soil to the right spot and we aren't tilling it up to get some heat into it and it's it's being patient, and sometimes we're not always patient, but it's been working.
0: <laughs> you know, obviously, the soil health conversation has been elevated into, like, the, the mainstream. And so, as you hear about some of these things, about consumers caring more about building soils or food companies caring more, what type of questions are they asking you about sustainability on the farm?
1: So, on the, on the vegetable side, I mean, we, they'll come in with what they would call, like, an audit and they'll come through asking questions there might be 100 different questions that we have to go through talking about how we're managing our soils you know how we're managing fertility down to where are we recycling our scrap metal i mean it's just there's a lot of different questions that they're asking and i know why they're asking it and i know what they're doing it for so i guess it's the beginning of working together on trying to figure to promote that
2: I bet you've become an expert record keeper if you weren't already for some of those questions.
1: I don't know if I'd be called an expert record keeper, but we try to do, manage our records fairly well. <laughs> and that's something I, we're trying to make sure that we're, we're mapping and we're keeping track of every pass on our soils now is what we're trying to do so that we can verify everything down the road. That's something that I'm, we're working towards. We're not there completely, but we're really working hard to make sure that we have everything mapped on everything we do between rates and every application, everything
0: that we do. No, it's interesting. I, I am curious about what Abby was asked about the record keeping and, you know, we talked about the technology you're using to sort of track a lot of the data. Are there any specific data points about what you're doing on farm that are particularly difficult to, to track and report on, even though people seem to want to know that information?
1: I guess when, when you start thinking of we're, we're doing a... A lot more with some variable rate things keeping track of that and making sure that some of our soils i wish i could get our soil sampling right into the same system and i don't have that i'm just getting the stuff recommended to us and if i could have that where i could overlay some of that stuff and look at it right in our systems where we have everything something like that i think would be really really handy or really nice um, i'm not sure if that answers your question but Some of those things are just hard to get to come together at times. Luckily, we have some good consultants that do it for us.
2: That's what I was going to ask you, is if you worked with an independent crop consultant or or if you do all the agronomy internally.
1: No, we we do work with a couple different consultants. One of them works on the vegetable side and the other one works on the, the fertility side. And so,
0: yep, we do have a couple. There's so many unique aspects to your operation that I'm kind of sitting over here trying to figure out what, you know, sort of where to go next or which to go into next. Um, but specifically, as it relates to kind of building healthier soils on your farm, you mentioned the, the biostrips, which is a kind of a newer thing, planting green, which sounds like it's something that's somewhat newer. Is there anything else that you're thinking of as you want to continue to build healthier soils in the future that you're thinking of that might be next?
1: The no-till side of it. I think I've always been afraid of that. I like to be able to place our nutrients with a strip tiller. And for me to go away from that has been a little bit hard, but we're playing around with more no till. Um, No till hasn't been a very big thing that people used in our area. There's not many people that had been doing it. There's a lot more people trying it now than what we'd seen in the past. So I think working through that side of it is probably our next step on how do we no till into some green cover crops, is what I'm thinking. We have some people that are doing some crimping and no-tilling into cover crops, and they're seeing some good results. And I think maybe that might be our next step is trying something like that.
2: Well, it sounds like you're well on your way if you're doing the bio-strip till, as it sounds like that would be kind of your replacement for the the actual strip till going into a no-till system.
1: I I actually think that could be. One of the challenges that we see with the bio-strip though is if we're using tillage radishes, we've seen some issues where we're plugging some drainage tile and so I have to be careful of that. But it's it's it was some of our deeper soils, it was some of our, you know, the, the drainage tile that were in topsoil and our roots were going right down and, and plugging the drainage tile. We have the same issue with alfalfa roots doing similar things. So we have to work through some of that, but we play around with different crop mixes. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, we'll figure a way to make it work without having to have some of those issues.
2: So I'm, I'm totally fascinated by the agronomic side of this, but then the human side of it is really interesting, too, and that relationship that exists between you and the next generation, your son. And what does that look like with his interest in soil health? And do you guys see eye to eye on everything, or does he have some new ideas he wants to bring to the farm?
1: They're just new enough coming into the operation that we haven't really gone down that road yet. Um <laughs> And he's trying to do some of his own stuff on his own. He wants to do have a little bit of his own business, and he's working through that. And as time goes by and he comes back into the operation a little bit more, we'll we'll work through those things. But they've seen it. They understand what's going on. It's no different than when I wanted to try it, when Dad had been conventionally tilling for years. He said, go for it. Just see what you can do. I mean, it's the only way you're going to know is to try. So...
0: Great. Well, um, as we kind of get closer to wrapping up here, Jason, we always like to ask, you know, uh, we kind of call it your TED Talk moment. You know, if you were to to give a message to other farmers that are interested in building healthier soils, what would you want their takeaway message to be from this episode? And if there's anything you want to add that we haven't talked about yet, this would be your time to do that as well.
1: I would say don't be afraid of it. There's going to be a, a learning curve, but don't be afraid of it. It's been nothing but beneficial for us. And I just said it, you don't know until you try. That's kind of the way I would look at it.
0: Don't be afraid of it and you don't know until you try. Those are pieces of advice that have definitely been shared amongst many of the farmers that we've interviewed this season that have been at this a long time. So I hope you take those to heart. Thank you very much to Jason Swede for taking the time to be on the show and share those experiences with all of us. It really was fascinating to hear about how some of these principles that we've talked about in corn and beans and wheat apply to a more diversified operation, like the one Jason has there in Western New York. Well, before we close, I want to thank the Soy Checkoff for sponsoring this Farmers for Soil Health series on the Soil Sense podcast. This show was produced by Dr. Abby Wick, Dr. Olivia Cayouette, and myself with support from the United Soybean Board, the University of Missouri Center for Regenerative Agriculture, and the Soil Health Institute. If you're at all interested in what soil health looks like in practice and on the farm, I highly suggest you follow or subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and leave us a rate and review while you're there. You also probably want to check out the Farmers for Soil Health website, which is just at farmersforsoilhealth.com. Until next time, stay curious, keep collaborating, and don't forget to take a minute to stop and smell the soil. Have a good one.